Today's scripture reading is 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever abides in his, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Good morning. It is good to be before you this morning once again. Pastor Dave is in Washington State. Uh, He's officiating a wedding, so he's not here this weekend. Um, The summer has been fast, it feels like. Maybe not for everybody. It feels fast for me. Uh, Kids are returning to school next week. I'll pray for them. Teachers, we pray for you. Um, It's grateful. I always share, before I begin, that in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, James writes that not all of us should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly, will be judged more strictly. I read that verse, I memorize that verse, and I think about it every week before I preach because I know based on what that verse says, that one day I will be judged before God for what I am doing right now. So I ask for courage to speak the truth, even though it may hurt, to speak clearly so that one heart in this room or would hear it online will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is a very honorable calling for me and a lot of people who stand behind a pulpit. I will tell you this, when I grew up, one of the last places I wanted to be was in front of people talking, especially when I came to the States as a 14-year-old, had a really thick, mixed-up accent because I had left Liberia and went to Ghana, and I picked up some languages there, and I came to the States. And to do group presentations or anything was terrifying to me. So for me to be here today is a great miracle. I still get nervous. People ask me, do I ever get nervous speaking in front of people? And the answer is yes, all the time. Let me open up in a word of prayer, and we can start. Gracious Heavenly Father, your name be glorified. Lord, no one in this room came to hear from Marcus. They came to hear from you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you use my voice 
to speak clearly, to encourage, to challenge, to bless, to teach your word in this piece of scripture, how it will be applied in the lives of the people sitting here in this room in the city of Tucson. In Jesus' name, amen. Her name was Anna Mae Bullock. She grew up in rural Tennessee, the daughter of a sharecropper in those days. She was African-American. Her father and her family just had a tough time making ends meet. They were severely poor, and her dad was abusive towards her mother. She spent a lot of time with her grandparents, living from one place to another. At age 11, Anna Mae's mother left home unexpectedly and fled from her abusive marriage. She moved from rural Tennessee to the city of St. Louis. And as a young woman, Anna Mae found a church choir to be her sanctuary, and she had a great voice. During those days, she actually fell into a relationship and fell into the same fate as her mother, an abusive relationship. She endured severe abuse, but her singing brought her stardom. Behind the music, there was pain, there was abuse. But she gathered herself in her mid-30s and early 40s, and she walked away from her relationship. And in 1984, she won a Grammy Award for her record, What's Love Got to Do With It? You know her as Tina Turner. From the pain of abandonment and abuse, she posed that question in her most famous song, a question she asked that still lives long after she's died. She died this spring. What's love got to do with it? This morning, I want to spend some time talking about love. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. The ushers are standing back to hand you one because I'm going to be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 3. Just slip up your hand. That is our gift to you. If you don't have one this morning, one will be given to you. I see a hand up front here. I see one in the back middle there. Thank you, Briante. Uh, thank you. If you have your Bibles or your devices, meet me in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19. In the Bible, particularly in the New Testament and specifically in the books that the disciple John, who we're reading, the, the books that he writes, God commands us to love, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, and to love one another. There is very little room, some would argue, that many people on this earth, everybody on this earth, falls into one of those three categories. In other words, John is saying, love people. Love your neighbor, love your enemies, and love one another. There are some people we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that are difficult to love. If you know somebody like that, don't raise your hand. There are some people whom we ask ourselves, how can anyone not love you, right? If you're your family member, you're like, how can anyone not love you? But there are also some people that we equip, who can love this person? What gets in the way this morning I want to talk to you about? What gets in the way of us loving one another? And how can we love one another? 
In the book of John, the book of 1 John, the big idea and the theme of the book is God is light on one hand, but God is love on the other. John in his writings calls Christians, calls us children. Beloved, he says, John writes, love covers a multitude of sins. We ought to love one another. One of the ways we can be assured, by the way, that we are destined for eternal life, that the gospel has actually penetrated our hearts, and that you are in the family, God writes, is that the Bible commands us to love. Love everyone. John makes a distinction here in this passage, however, and, and the emphasis of this passage is not our neighbor, who we should love. It's not our enemies, but it's one another. It's folks in this room. We're talking this morning about people in this room, in churches, in church communities. How do we love one another? Verse 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, uh, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. One of the things that prevents us from loving each other, or from loving one another, is our heart. Our heart, as John writes, can condemn us. This is neither unusual or infrequent, but our, commun our commune with God, sometimes our community with God, gets interrupted by the doubts of our hearts and our condemnations. Sometimes these accusations from our conscience are hard to fight. And sometimes... Our hearts lie to us. It's an inner battle we all fight, knowing that we are loved, but at the same time understanding that, man, our hearts can get with us in some way. Dr. Karen Mason, in her famous book, which if you haven't read, is for, is, is for pastors, but I encourage you to read, it's called Preventing Suicide. And she writes that there are a few reasons why our hearts condemn us. She says, our own sin is one. Our heart condemns us through our own sin. Satan's lies, and in times of real suffering, we tend to doubt and we tend to condemn ourselves. Our hearts can be condemning towards us in all of these circumstances. All over the scriptures, the Bible records people who had close relationships with God, but are still struggling with sometimes self-hatred. Sometimes we're around so many people in this community, in this city, your apartment complex, your neighborhood, your job, your church, but no one knows that you're hurting. Heart condemnation, difficult times, even depression. Maybe you've gotten to the point in your life right now where you're accusing God. God, where are you? God, you don't seem to know what I'm going through. I'm speaking to believers here. Our hearts are in constant need of reassurance. Our hearts need reminders. One commentator says this way, he said, it's the mind's knowledge through which the heart's doubt may be silenced. Our minds know God, but sometimes our heart fights against this. Verse 19 says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our heart. God delights in us. We will always be flawed. We will always fight to attain perfection, which we will never attain on this side of eternity, but God loves us. The late Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the gospel says to us simultaneously that we are more sinful and flawed than you have ever dared to believe, yet more loved and accepted 
than you ever dared to hope. The God who knows us is greater than our hearts. And he's described in the Bible as a God that loves. God is love, John writes. The is in that sentence is a very simple sentence. But the is in that sentence is not an is of predication. It's an is of attribution. Meaning, is love is, is what God is, is an attribute of God that he cannot change. He loves. That's just who he is. It's not something that he does. Love is just not something that God does every once in a while. It's all that he is. The greatest expression of love is to give your life for another person, and God did that in Jesus Christ. Many of us here know that. We know that in our minds, but our hearts need to be reminded that God loves us. 1 John 3.16, which is a verse that if, you're a memor- if you memorize the Bible, this is one of those places that you should memorize. Most of us know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If you have children, you know this, right? I have three. You understand this differently. You love your kids beyond the point of your own, you, you kind of self-deprecate, right? No, no one else would w- wake me up in the middle of the night to get a cup of water at 3 a.m., right? No one else. It's like when I sit down, sometimes I sit to eat a meal, and I'm looking at my burger, I'm looking at my fries, and my kids come and sit in my lap, and they start eating it, and you know what? I'm okay with it, right? The, the, the person you would do whatever for, you see it. If you, under, you understand me when I'm talking about your kids, you would, do, you would get in the way of harm because of them. You will do almost anything so that your kids can live. This is how God sees us when he calls us his children. I'm choking. Love is not just warm intentions. Matthew 7 says, if if your son asks him for uh, for, for food, who gives him a stone? Who amongst us gives their kids a stone if they ask for food? And we are flawed human beings. A high bar. God's love is limitless. Verse 21 says this. It says, Beloved, if your heart heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Can somebody help me with a cup of water, please? John is saying, because we keep his commandments... One of the things that we should do to be at the top of our tasks, thank you. Thank you, Em. I appreciate it. Thank you, Em. That's love. John is saying, because we keep his commandments, One of the things that should be at the top of our list, at the top of our ass, is the ability to do what pleases God. In other words, we should ask for the capacity to love one another. When when, when Jesus writes, when John writes that whatever we ask, we should receive from him, right? When I read that verse, if you're an immature Christian or immature person, when you read that verse, my mind goes to, well... My heart's clear, and it's not condemning me, right? Let's go for that new car. 
that new heart, house, some travel money. God, you said it in your word. Whatever I ask for, you will give it to me. John is saying, I want you to get this. John is saying that we should be more concerned with keeping God's commandments and, do, and doing what pleases God. If you want to see your life change, pray for the capacity to love others. If you want to see how drastically different you will see the world and how much joy will walk into your life and how many people will come in and what resources will pass through your hands, pray for the capacity to love one another. Pray for the capacity to love your neighbor. Pray for the capacity to love. Verse 23 says this, and, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the, in the name of the Son of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. This is the commandment. There are people who believe historically. See, there, there are people who believe that God exists or Jesus existed at some points. Some people believe in Jesus. They would say, yeah, Jesus existed. But there is another level that John is talking about this morning. I believe John is getting to here. He's saying that if you believe not just in Jesus, but in the name of Jesus, stay with me. Do you believe in the name of Jesus. There's a great friend of mine who was at a dinner one time, and people recognized that they needed someone to pray for the meal. So they asked him, <laughs> and they said, one caveat, don't pray in the name of Jesus. Just pray some generic prayer. Some people understand or are afraid of the possibilities when you start to pray in the name of Jesus, because there's a dividing line there when you utter that name. The power of the name of Jesus is, is something is hard to measure. Demon, the Bible says demons shudder when they hear that name. The lives get changed when that name comes about. There is something about the name of Jesus. It is both powerful and comforting. It, is, it represents both strength and gentleness. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. From this verse of Scripture, we are told that Jesus' name is above every name. So it's not just believing in Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. His name is above every name. His name is above your current situation, by the way. His name is above the lies of the devil, by the way. His name is above the doubts that you have in your mind right now, by the way. His name is above the bouts of depression that you're going through right now. His name is above the current situation you're going through. His name is above your past. There is something about the name of Jesus. And he says this, he said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the part we miss. Yeah. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We hear the, I will give you anything you want, but the anything you want is connected to the glory of the Father. If you hear this, if you hear Yes, Lord, if I pray for something, you're going to give it to me. You said it in your word a couple times. 
If you hear this and you're thinking, yes, Lord, I'm going to start praying for that Powerball ticket. <laughs> in your name, your mind is in the wrong place. You pray so that the Father will be glorified. You pray for the power to love one another. You pray for the powers to love those around you who are hard to love. If we're honest with ourselves, we have a couple more than a, I have a, more than a couple people in my life that are hard to love. But God commands us to love one another. He commands us to love the people who are chronically in need. He commands us to love the habitual complainers. He commands us to love the frequent problem finders. He commands us to love the people who are hard to please. He commands us to love the habitual liars. He commands us to love those who call themselves Christ followers but are living in obvious sin. He commands us to love all of these people. The difficulty to love one another is clear. But God calls us to love anyhow. A few years ago, I came upon a gentleman, we'll call him John. John was homeless. When I worked in Denver at a church, we were in this big building that was like a community center, and it was a nonprofit that worked that, that was in the same building as we were. And you, I, would, I was pastoring in the church on Fridays and Saturdays. I'd be sitting there doing my, preparing my sermons, and he would often come. He started coming to church. We shared a parking lot with another church, which is ironic, but he slept behind that church, a homeless man. And some evenings he would come and just knock on the window, and I would let him in, just me and him, and he would start telling me his life story. Gradually, I would say we became, we became friends, and I heard his story. He said, I've been living on the street since 1996. I came to Denver from Detroit, and I couldn't find what was up or what was down. So I said, John, I heard his story. And at one point, he, was, he, he, he had his Bible. It was all, oh, it was missing pages and all these things, but he didn't want to let it go. He said, Marcus, I'm going to share. They want me to share my testimony at church. Can you help me? And we're sitting there, and we're working through it. And he's sitting there, we're working, we're working through it. And he's telling me his life story, and I'm listening. And it, it takes everything out of me not to cry. We became friends, I would say. John started, I told him, I said, whenever you want a meal, just stop by, help me out. He said, man, I'll take out the trash for you. You know, we had mac and cheese, all those kind of things in the office, and he would grab mac and cheese, and, and, and we built a relationship, and the staff got to know him. He was hanging out with us. I'm paying his phone and doing things, and he shared with me, said, man, you know how I eat dinner every night? I said, no, I don't know. He said, church's chicken down the street at 9 o'clock when they close, I go to their dumpster. This is in America. And we're sitting there, and we're, we're, we're talking, we're chopping it up, joking even sometimes. And I became a good friend of his. He told me one night as we were walking out, I said, oh, John, look at the sunset. You know, Denver looking west, facing the Rockies, absolutely beautiful. And the sun's setting, and he looked at me. I said, isn't that beautiful? And he gave me a different perspective. He said, Marcus... For me, when the sun is setting, that means the night is coming, and I have to stay up because I'm sleeping outside. I don't know who's coming for me. I don't know what violence is awaiting. And then he said to me, he said, when you see the sunset every night, pray 
because this is somebody's first night on the streets. Changed my perspective. He says, someone doesn't know the rules of the street, and this is their first night. And I thought to myself, yes, I will pray. Our relationship, unfortunately, turned sour, and he became very difficult to love. John started to steal from us because we used to have computers, laptop computers, for the people who were, who were working to get jobs in a nonprofit, and we kept missing computers. At some point, we counted we're missing 14 computers. Turns out he was putting the computers in a trash can as he took out the trash, and he was selling them to get more money. I sat down. After all those months, someone that I, I loved, I would say, and I realized that I didn't know him. I sat across from him and I said, John, how could you do this to me? And he looked me in the eye and said, Marcus, I'm sorry, but I'm one of those people that is difficult to love. And he said, please don't call the police on me because I won't survive in jail. I don't know if I made the right decision that day because as he walked away from me, he said, I told him, I said, will I ever see you again? He said, I don't know. People like me live this way. And I realized that this is many of our situations with God. Our hearts are broken. God's heart is broken when we sin against him. He gives us all, and we do things that really hurts his heart. He's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. After all he had done, he still grieved my heart, and I still miss him because he was my guy in the building. And then people started pointing fingers at me. Oh, you let this guy in, and he stole X, Y, and Z. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I made the right decision, but I didn't call the police on him. I loved them. I learned in those months that love is costly. I learned that love is not what the modern Western mind tends to think of, the butterflies in the stomach of romantic love. Love sometimes hurts. Love requires humility. Love sometimes costs us financially. Love costs us time. It is discomforting. Love is inconvenience. It's inconvenient to love. A lot of world leaders have understood this principle of love, and they use it. I'm talking, if you think of Abraham Lincoln, knew what it would cost him to love. If you think of Dr. Martin Luther King, you know what it would cost him. He knew what it would cost him to love. If you think of Mother Teresa, she knew what it would cost her life to love. So what's love got to do with it? Love has everything to do with it. My question to you this morning is, where do you get the superpower to love as Jesus loved? Where do you get that feeling? Because I'll tell you what, as a fallen human being, you're incapable of loving people fully. Verse 24 says, whoever 
keeps his commandments, abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Abiding in God and being empowered by the name of Jesus Christ in taking action, the Holy Spirit is the one who has to live in you for you to love beyond your human means. The, the name of Jesus, if you call on the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, it's a big distinction of how you can love, which seems impossible. Love is the final objective test of our Christian profession. For true love, in the sense of self-sacrifice, is not natural to human beings in their fallen state. True love is a work of the Holy Spirit. God commands us to love. Jesus shows us how to love. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to love. All of that is in this passage. I'll repeat that. God the Father commands us to love. Jesus, who gave his life, shows, up, shows us how to love. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to love. John uses some elastic language in this passage. He mentions in verse 20, whenever. In verse 22, whatever. In verse 24, whoever. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is the key to having us love one another. This, by the way, is in contrast to chapter 3, verse 8, when he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Whoever keeps the commandments of God is the opposite. God calls us to love. As I close this morning, if there's something that I want you to take home today, please take this home. The author spends a lot of time in this book of 1 John talking about love. The scriptures spend a lot of time talking about love. We ought to love, we ought to treat one, how we ought to treat one another, how we ought to feel and act towards one another. A few years ago, I was blown away. I was sitting in a meeting. Ironically, I think that's they were trying to fire me, but that's another story. <laughs> and I was blown away. The guy who I was, the two guys I was meeting with, they shared with me a list. And I want to share that list with you this morning. These are ways to love. In the scriptures, they're called the one another's. There are a bunch of them, a bunch of scriptures that start or end with one another. This is how we love, when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are just a few I would like to highlight. As you can see, John speaks of loving one another several times, right? Be devoted to one another in love. Can we go to the next page? Honor one another above yourselves. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there contextualizing in that context, they did greet each other with a holy kiss. In our modern Western culture, it's not <laughs> appropriate, <laughs> okay? So greet each, other, greet each other with a holy hug, if you will. Okay, let me just say that, right? <laughs> I lived in France for a year, and, and when I first got there, everybody's kissing each other on the cheek, and I said, I'll never do that, right? And then six months in, here I am kissing everybody. Run the, went the wrong way a few times, but that's another story. <laughs> go back to that last one. I'm sorry, you can go for it. I'm sorry. Okay? Have equal concern with one another. Serve one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. 
Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate towards one another, forgiving each other. Let's do the next one. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When was the last time you did that? Do not lie to each other. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. That's love. Make your love increase and overflow to each other. Love each other. Encourage. Encourage. Build each other up. Encourage each other. There are so many of them. If you Google the one another's of Scripture, you will get this. This is a practical way for you to love one another. If that list seems overwhelming and your heart is starting to condemn you right now, saying, I see that list, Marcus. There are so many things that are going to be hard for me to do, especially with X, Y, and Z person. Let me assure you that if he abides in you and you abide in him, the Spirit will give you and empower you with how to love one another. Love, Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it? In the Christian life, love has everything to do with it. By this, brothers and sisters, that we will know that Christ lives enough, Christ lives in us, that we can love one another sacrificially. Love costs something. To love costs God his son, the life of his son on the cross. You can't get by in a Christian life by not loving one another, right? Think of people in this room. Think of ways that you can love. Someone's moving, lend a hand. Someone needs a meal, be the one to provide it. Someone needs a shoulder to cry on, you be that person. Find ways to love. The opposite side of that is when someone is in the wrong, you love them by telling them the truth in love. Because God does that to us. Love is difficult, but it is very possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Thank you, love for, thank you Lord, for your love that surpasses all understanding. Heavenly Father, you have given us so much including your life. Help us to love sacrificially those in the church around the world, those in the building right now, those in our church community, those in, in places in this city that we cannot think of. We think it's impossible to love some people. We think it is difficult to love some people. But God, would you work in our hearts that we're able to love. In Jesus' name, amen.